If you need a Bible, we got ushers in the back who have Bibles for those who don't have them. I'm going to be reading from the ESV version. That's the official version that the church uses. Not to say it's more holy than any other version. It's just the version that we agreed to use here. So if you want to follow along with us more closely, use that ESV. And we're going to be reading once again from 2 Corinthians 4 through chapter 5, verse 10. Say amen when you're there. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be also manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if this tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house made not with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we should be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by what is life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. And we would rather be away from the body than at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Amen. That is the word of God. I want to pray for our service today. And we're going to remember all of those who are out there um, 
traveling for this holiday, especially the pastor, my father and mother, my sister and brother Andy. There's some other ones that are traveling as well. Who else is traveling? Anybody? Bonnie and Bill. Who else? John is traveling. Luvia. Okay. I should say Luvia, Luvia. I pronounce it wrong all the time. Anybody else? So we're praying for those. We're praying for the sick. Praying for the sick. Um, thinking about Brother Chad. Who else out there? Who else was sick? Um, Mickey has the babies. Yep. So we're going to be praying for the service. I want to call all those who can stand to stand and honor that as well as we pray for this service. And let me just open this up in prayer. Dear Lord, we thank you for calling us to be your people. We thank you for giving us this holiday, Memorial Day, Lord, where, you know, we have other holidays that honor the living. And in this holiday, we honor the dead. We honor those who gave their lives so that we might be free. And Lord, we want to live in honor of those many who died. For saints, it should be an even better day because we can remember those who died for us in many different ways. We could think about, first of all, the Lord Jesus who died, but now is alive. But we can also think about the many others who died. They have not yet been risen, but they did die for our sake. We think about Stephen, the first mark. We think about all the apostles. We think about many of the prophets, like Isaiah. We think about those who died not quite reaching the promised land, like Moses and Aaron. We think about those who died not quite seeing your Holy One, like Eve. But we thank you, Lord, for your word for comforting us. We thank you, Lord, for your word. Other people can go on vacation, but your word never goes on vacation. Your Holy Spirit never goes on vacation. You always uphold us. And so we pray, Lord, that this service will be an honor to you despite those that are missing. We want to do it also in their honor. It's not like they're gone forever. But we want to do it in an honor that when they come back, they will know the service went on the way it should have. And we want to praise you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit that we might fulfill your purpose the way that you want us to. So I pray that you will bless this service, Lord. Bless, Bless the choir song, Lord, that it will be powerful. And those who of, of us who play the instruments, Lord, that we would do our thing right, Lord. And I pray that you would just bless this whole service, Lord, that people would be understanding who you are. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, we had a victory. Amen. I praise God for putting a word in my mouth that I might speak his truth. And we read through 2 Corinthians 4 through 5.10. And 2 Corinthians is an odd book. There's no other book like it in the Bible. Because there's this weird thing that's going on with Paul and his Corinthians that you can kind of sense and you can read through as you see the book. That Paul is fighting with the Corinthians and instructing them at the same time. And so we have this odd thing going on where he's fighting and instructing. And he's fighting them over his identity and over their place in the ministry. He's trying to challenge them to understand that they should be unified with him. 
He's trying to challenge them to understand that they should acknowledge his calling, character, and authority. He's telling that they should be focused on the spiritual and they shouldn't be so carnal. And throughout this tug of war that he's got with these people, he still loves them, he's still instructing them, and they're throwing accusations the other way. And in the midst of this conflict, he shows us the fighting spirit of a true saint. Now he starts off in verse 1, he says, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, out of therefore, he's building on what happened in the first three chapters. And he says, this ministry, and what kind of ministry is he talking about? Well, he's talking about a ministry of comfort. In the very first chapter, he talked about God as a God of comfort. Despite the fact that you guys are fighting me, God is still comforting. We have a ministry of life. Now, there's ministries of death out there. I'm not just talking about the gangs and the drugs, though we could call those ministries of death, but we also talk about religious ministries of death. And Paul, since it was this law that was preached that didn't have the power to enable you to do the law, but people would tell you what the law was. It wasn't false. Everybody needs to know that thou shalt not kill. Everybody needs to know you should not steal. Everybody needs to know you shouldn't commit adultery. But did that word empower them to obey that law? That's what made it dead. We have the ministry of the spirit versus the spirit of the the ministry of the letter. That we have a ministry that actually makes people alive. We have a ministry of righteousness that enables people to do right. We have a ministry of freedom. Freedom from the bondage of sin. Freedom from the bondage of the law. And he says, by the mercy of God, talking about God's purpose, talking about the fact that we have this ministry by God's purpose, that we have this ministry given by God, not taken by men, that this ministry is granted as a privilege, it's not earned, And then he says what our phrase of the day is, we do not lose heart. I know you guys are fighting me. We do not lose heart. I know that I've been threatened to death, but we do not lose heart. Some people seem to not be listening, but we do not lose heart. That's what this message is all about. We do not lose heart. Now, he starts to describe a ministry of not losing heart. And the first thing he does is he says, we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. Now, you got to understand that when you're hearing Paul talk about this stuff, it's not in a vacuum. When he's saying we have renounced underhanded, disgraceful ways, he's describing his adversaries. Right? Everything that he's saying is also instruction, but it's also combat. You got to understand that, okay? He's not only instructing, he's also combating. He's, he's teaching, and at the same time, he's blocking, throwing kung fu, right? And he's sitting there and he's saying, not like these people. Yeah, the ones that's at your church talking bad about me. 
See, we refuse to practice cunning and tamper with God's word, which is changing God's word to appeal to men. See, as we communion, we like that too. I refuse to change God's word to make you feel better about your sin. We're not going to do that here. We refuse to change God's word or appeal to men. This is the wrong way to preach. And why is it the wrong way to preach? It's wrong because it pursues lesser goals. Some people are pursuing the goals of getting butts in the seats <laughs> instead of getting souls into heaven. That's a lesser goal. It shows a lack of faith because you don't believe that God's word is powerful enough, so you got to put your own spin on it. It forgets who gave the word. You forgot that it's called God's word. He owns his word. And you, so you sit there and you say, well, I know better than God. I'm going to say it my way. And when you do it that way, you're preaching wrong. See, Paul says we don't do that. But by open statement of the truth, we will commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Now, he says a lot in one verse. He says we do open statement of the truth. There's no shame in our game. It's simple. It's just a declaration of what's true and what's not. We teach what God wants us to teach, and we appeal to everyone's conscience with truth. We ain't trying to flatter anybody. We're not trying to demean anybody. We are preaching the truth, and if you get it, you get it. We are convincing people with sincerity and with our character, and it's slow to do it that way. And that's why most people don't want to do it that way. Mm-hmm. It'd be easier to pump up some steroids. People don't want to live slowly. People don't want to learn that you got to lift the bar first before you start putting on three plates on each side. People don't want to learn that you have to learn proper form yet before you start impressing girls and saying, ooh, look how much I live. Girls, watch me. People don't want to do that. They want to get the results now. But godliness doesn't work like that. We have to do things the slow way. And we are doing it in God's sight. In other words, that God sees and approves what we're doing. But another way of saying is God is watching everything we do. And the true preacher of God is realizing that fact, that while he's talking, God is watching. And that's why we appeal in the way that we do. Now, he says if our gospel is veiled, now, right when he said that, you could see the people in the back of the church grinning. Oh, we got them now. Yeah, Paul, why don't they listen to you? Why don't they listen to you? Because there's something wrong with you. Nope, nope. They thought they were going to condemn Paul with this one, but Paul condemned them. He said, if it's veiled, it's only to the perishing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe you sitting in church and you don't respect the word. Maybe you sitting in church and you don't understand why the guy next to you thinks it's exciting, but you don't. You're on the path of the death. You don't understand you're following the path of the perishing. You cannot see the honest appeal of the gospel. Why can't you see it? Because Satan has blinded you. It's a result of your spiritual condition, not a measure of Paul's effectiveness or the preacher's effectiveness. It don't matter how exciting I preach, I can get up here and dance. If you ain't saved, it's not going to matter much to you. 
you cannot see the truth, what's obvious and provable, because the truth is centered around Jesus. Now, if you don't want to see Jesus, here's the thing. That's why Jesus came, because God the Father, one of his qualities is that he is invisible. But Jesus is the God that we can see. And so Jesus came so that we might see God. And the truth that we preach is centered around Jesus. Now, Paul says this, we don't proclaim ourselves. Now, that's a rebuke. Because he's not focused on building his own adoration like some of these opponents are. You know, I just heard a sermon the other day. It kind of sickened me to hear this sermon. So this dude was speaking some truth, but then he would just bust out every once in a while and say something that he couldn't know to be true. And I'll give you an example. He was going through, and let's just say he went through a passage. He said, yeah, 40 days in the wilderness. The Holy Spirit then told me that one of y'all out there is going to go through 40 days in the wilderness. But when you get through the other side, you're going to be on a promised land. Right? He would say something like that. And what, what was he doing? He was just saying something wild that he couldn't prove. Somebody in the church would feel like they were going through some hard time, and they wouldn't count those days, right? But they would just think, oh, the pro- he prophesied, right? <sighs> he couldn't know that. He couldn't know that. He was building his own adoration. See, we don't proclaim ourselves. We don't sit here and try to say things that we don't know to be true. We're not worried about our opponent's assessment of our value, right? We get our value from God and our value judgment from God. That's why we tell our kids, don't pay attention to how people make fun of you. It's not that you're supposed to sit there and just ignore it. The point is they don't give you your value. God does. Now, here's a problem with that, though, is that when God gives you your value, he gives you an honest value. He ain't going to float you. He ain't going to puff you up. He ain't going to put you down. He's going to tell you the truth. And some people are afraid to hear what God values them. But the true preacher of God's word is not afraid. Because he wants to know how God evaluates him so that he can learn if he can do better. See, we proclaim Jesus as Lord. And here's the difference between us and a Joel Osteen. Because we proclaim Jesus as Lord. That's an authoritative Jesus. Anybody can proclaim a Jesus that's a care bearer, that's a teddy bear, that you come and hug. We proclaim a Jesus that tells you what to do. We proclaim a Jesus that told you, sit down. We proclaim a Jesus that said, you need to give more of your money. You're not giving quite enough. You're not dedicating quite enough of your time to reading God's word. Your life is not clean enough. You have not fully repented. You have not given your all. What does scripture say? You ain't resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. The scripture is not necessarily gentle all the time when it disciplines us. We proclaim Jesus not as your best buddy, but Jesus as Lord. And we are his servants. So you can't be servants of a Lord unless you've been appointed by that Lord. It's not a self-appointed job like Paul's opponents had. I always get tired when I hear people say stuff like, I'm apostle so-and-so, I'm prophet so-and-so. You can already know right there you don't need to go to that church. You done heard or seen enough. 
Those are self-appointed titles by people who give themselves adoration instead of the Lord. Why can't these people see the truth? Because God gives the light and the knowledge of his glory. Paul makes an interesting connection here. He says that God who said, let the light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God gives a light. The same power that created light when there was no light is the same power that's used to give us truth when there was no truth. The same power that created the sun and the moon and the stars is the same power that tells you that the word of God is true. The power of creation is the power of revelation. And the truth of God's power and his glory is in the face of Jesus. Because Jesus alone reveals the glory of God. So if you don't understand what I'm telling you, Paul was saying, it's because you've been blinded by Satan. You don't understand that Jesus is Lord. You don't understand that God alone gives light. You have ignored the face of Jesus. Now somebody's going to look at Paul and they're going to say, you're flawed. You're just a piece of dirt like the rest of us. And Paul would say, good. Glad you noticed. Right? If you look in here and you hear us giving a sermon, now wake him up. We're preaching the word of God. Here, wake him up, Paul. Yeah, wake him up. Mm-hmm. We're preaching the word. We need nothing to sleep on. You might look at me and you might say, well, you know, you flawed, preacher. I know you did this and this wrong before, and you, you're not wrong. I am flawed. And if you notice those flaws, praise God. Because that will tell you that we have this treasure in jars of clay. Paul says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is not Brian's word. This is not even Sweet Communion's word. It is God's word. It shows that the power belongs to God and not us. And that's why he can say we are afflicted but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. We have these problems. We encounter these difficulties because God is showing us that by crushing us, he reveals the power within. It is like a jar of clay that has gold inside it. And how are you going to get to that gold? Sometimes you got to break that jar. It is not the jar that we are concerned about. It is the gold that's within. And so, sometimes you have to suffer some damage so that God can show the value of what he has put within. See, we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. We're always living to die. We're dying to ourselves. We're dying to sin. But we die so that the life can be manifested. Now, I got to stop here. I know this is a little bit of an aside. But you notice it is God who's doing the manifesting, not us. You know, every time I hear on Facebook and I hear somebody say manifest something, it just make me, my, my hand go like this, a vein come out my head. 
I just get tired of people claiming the power of God. There is nowhere in Scripture where anybody is manifesting anything except for God. Stop manifesting. That's like self-worship. I don't want to hear you manifesting no more. The only one who do any manifesting is God. So life can be manifested in us because we live to die. And then we die that we might be raised. And so he says in verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Now that's a rebuke. I want you to understand that that's a rebuke because he's saying we live to die that we might be raised, but you just want to live. You just want to suffer the good things in Christ. You don't want to suffer the bad. And when you only aim to suffer the good and not the bad, you have a shallow faith that does not reveal the gold within why are you so afraid of the struggles that God brings? Is it because there is no gold within? Is your faith so shallow that the clay is the only thing of value? He's challenging these people. He then says, we have the same spirit of faith. Now this comes from Psalm 116. Where David says, I believed and so I spoke. So we also believe and so we also speak. We got to believe what we speak. Another way of saying this is preaching is an act of faith, not an exercise of talent. The people in Corinth was good orators. The people in Corinth had good wisdom. The people in Corinth learned a lot. But they didn't believe in a God who saves. And so what good is that preaching? Let me put it another way. You could hear a good sermon and it don't do you a doggone thing. Because a sermon has to be an act of faith. It has to be an act of the preacher believing in God, then believing in God's word, then believing in God's spirit, that God's spirit will be effective in you. That even if I make a mistake, God will fix it. If, I go, if you go home, God's word will stay with you. God's word will be working with you. We went out to evangelize the other day, and we was trying to witness to a guy. We handed him a track. He said, nah. Walk by us. Goes half a block down, comes back. Me and Janice was looking at him like, what's going on? He comes back. He said, hey, the Holy Spirit told me to come back. I apologize for you guys because I was going through some stuff. And the reason I just passed, because I just thought you was passing me something. I should, and I realized when you was passing it to me, you was passing me a track. And I really should have commended you for the work you're doing. I apologize. I'm just going through some stuff, and I was in my own head. But I praise God that you guys are doing what you're doing. Now, we was out there to save souls. But God was revealing to us that his Holy Spirit is already doing works. See, the Holy Spirit was working on that guy when he was walking down the block towards us. And before he got half a block down, the Holy Spirit had already convicted him. Come back, bro. Those are my people. Encourage him. He went back. Now, we didn't necessarily need encouragement because he, I can't tell you all the things people say when we out there worshiping, and some of them is not good. But this man came back. And he came back to let us know that the Holy Spirit was going to continue to keep working on him after he left us. And so we stopped and prayed for that man. And maybe that was the reason that God brought him to us. See, we believe, and there we speak. You know, it doesn't do a bit of good if I only believe that the Holy Spirit works while I'm preaching. He has to prepare you to even be here, right? 
How many people do I wish was here to hear this message that they're not even here? The Holy Spirit has to bring you here. The Holy Spirit has to give you an open heart so you can hear. The Holy Spirit has to have you put it into practice when I'm gone. The Holy Spirit has to have you reading his word when I'm not there. Who knows what you're going to be reading throughout this week? You could be reading anything, but it's the Holy Spirit that has to convict you to read God's word. The Holy Spirit has to be doing a work way more than I'm doing a work. My time on Sunday is not all that God does. Our choir song is not all that God does. Every minute of the day, every second of the day, God is working. And so we believe, and so we speak. We speak with this belief, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us up with Jesus and will bring us with you into his presence. We believe that Jesus died. We believe that the same one that ordered Jesus to die ordered him to live. We believe that the same one who ordered him to live ordered him into heaven to ascend to him. We believe that the same one who ordered him to ascend to sit at his right hand. We believe the same one who ordered those things will order him to return. We believe that the same one who orders him to return will order us to join him in the air. And we believe that together with him we will live eternally in bliss. That's what we believe. And this is all for your sake, beloved, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. As we believe, we should be sharing that belief with somebody else, and somebody else should be thankful that God did a work for them. That's why when somebody comes in church with a bad attitude, I can't, you might as well just go home. Because this ought to be a place where there are no bad attitudes because you ought to be thankful. You ought to be coming into this place and thinking to yourself, as I walk into this room, here go a cross right here. Praise God for the work he did on the cross. You can, when you're thankful, you can't be complaining at the same time. You can't have a bad attitude at the same time as you're thankful. It's just impossible to hold those two thoughts together. Another preacher said, thankfulness is the guardian of the heart. And when you're sitting there giving thanks to God, what happens? God gets the glory. We ought to give him the glory now because he's going to get all the glory in the future. Give him the glory today. Knowing all those things, what does it say in verse 16? So, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Our outer self is wasting away. Our outer pursuits might be wasting away. We might get closer and closer to retirement. Our body is wearing down. Our mind is wearing down. Our purpose is drawing to a close on this earth. But our inner self is being renewed. Why? Because we're preparing for our resurrection. This affliction that we suffer, Paul calls it light because of preparation for glory that is heavy. Look what he said. He says, light, momentary affliction, eternal weight of glory. Light, affliction, heavy glory. It's not comparable. It's not even fair to be a Christian. It ain't fair to be a Christian because the little bit you suffer does not compare to the eternity of joy that you have to look forward to. We should be saying, God, it ain't even fair. ain't even fair how good you are. So we should look to the unseen. 
Why? Because everything that we see will pass away. But it is the unseen things that have the true value and are eternal. Like God is invisible. The love that we have for each other is invisible. God's visible church could pass away, but God's invisible church will never pass away. What do I mean by that? Visible church is the people you see in front of you. Some of them are saved, some of them ain't. We can't really tell from the outside. But inside, God's invisible church, just like I didn't know that brother who walked up to me and walked halfway down and came back was a believer, but God knew. That's part of his invisible church. I couldn't see that, but God could see that. That invisible church would never pass away. That love that we have for each other, you can't necessarily see the love that I have for you. Well, maybe you can with spiritual eyes, but you would have to look at the unseen to understand that I love you. And you know what? I can't necessarily look always at your face to tell that you love me, but I know that you being here, you love me. You got to look to the unseen. The joy that we have. We could be crying, but we could still have joy. We got to look to the unseen. You can't always look at the sin. See, we understand this, that in this tent, our heavenly tent is destroyed. We have a building from God. Now, he is starting to produce another analogy, and that's a temple tabernacle analogy. What happened? What is a tabernacle? The tabernacle is a tent that was very glorious, but it was built for God when they didn't have a temple. And it was a temporary setup that they would set up every time they stopped, and they would have to be able to fold it up and move it whenever they needed to move it. And it was nice, but it wasn't quite as nice as the temple. But when Solomon built that temple, you never heard of the tabernacle again. And so it is with us. If our earthly home is destroyed, our tent, we have a building from God. A house not made with hands, not like the temple that was made with hands. And what happened to the temple? It got destroyed several times. Not like the temple that got destroyed and then it became a lesser thing than what it was. Where what they built in Solomon's time, they couldn't compare because Solomon was a multi-billionaire. He had Elon Musk money, right? He made a temple. He made it rich. He had gold overlaid with gold. Do you hear that passage? All you hear is gold, right? It was gold overlaid with gold with another layer of gold, right? And then they had it. They built it. They like, okay, bronze, some cardboard. They had to rebuild the temple, but they didn't have the, no, no Solomon money. So they had to rebuild it what they had. They rebuilt it again, and Herod the Great built a temple. Herod, what are you doing touching the temple, right? But he built a temple. I mean, I guess they was thankful for it. They was worshiping in it during Jesus' day. Even that temple got destroyed. The Romans came in and destroyed it. And so... We have seen the temple get destroyed several times, but this temple that we're looking forward to is not made with human hands. It's eternal in the heavens. It's eternal, and it's in a place that can't be threatened. See, in this tent we groan. And you'll notice he said that twice, right? In this tent we groan. You know, he's he, he giving us old man vibes here, right? In this tent we groan. Longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we might not be found naked. He's talking about his adversaries. He's saying, in this tent we groan. Everybody groans, whether you saved or unsaved, everybody groans. 
We all yearn for a better home. But you've got to understand that what you're yearning for may not be a real thing if you don't trust in the Lord. So you need to understand that you could be found naked. You could be looking for further clothes. You ain't got it. But in this tent we groan being burdened, not that we will be unclothed, but that we will be further clothed so that what is mortal may be swallowed by what is life. The resurrection that we look forward to is not like Lazarus's resurrection. Lazarus was risen, and then he died again. And I'm not saying that we don't want that, right? We have loved ones that die. We were like, man, I wish the Lord would raise them up again, even if they did have to die again. But the resurrection that we look forward to is not like that. It's like Jesus' resurrection. When Jesus rose, he rose, and he could never die again because death did not apply to him. That's the kind of resurrection we look forward to. He who has prepared us for this thing is God, who's given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee. You know you're going to be raised again when you have the Holy Spirit. If you don't know who the Holy Spirit is, you have not been risen by him. So, we are always of good courage. See, we know that death is to be with our Lord, so we walk by faith. We're not sitting here looking at what we have as if that's all we'll ever have. We're walking by faith. And so he says, yes, we are always of good courage. And we would rather die, is what he says. We would rather die. What is courage? Courage is the ability to face harm and death and not be deterred by it. And so what is he saying? A believer has to have courage because a believer has to believe that dying is better off than living. See, whether at home or away, we aim to please him. Why? For we must all before, appear before him in judgment. Now, After this passage, knowing that we must all appear before Christ on the judgment seat, he said in verse 11, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. If we know that God will judge this world, we have an urgency when we persuade others because we don't want them to face an angry God. And after that, he starts to tell them, stop regarding people according to the flesh. Because you have to look to the unseen, not to the seen. But the point of the passage is on these repeated phrases that kind of mean the same thing. The first one is, we do not lose heart. The second one is, we are of good courage. And you can kind of see how those two phrases mean the same thing, right? We do not lose heart. We are of good courage, despite the gospel being veiled. Because God opens the eyes of every man with a miracle. We do not lose heart, being a jar of clay, because the power belongs to God alone. We do not lose heart, living in a selfish generation, because God's word can change the heart. We do not lose heart, even though our outer man is wasting away, our inner man is being renewed. We do not lose heart at the prospect of death because we long to be with our Lord. See, we do not lose heart because we don't need to trick or finesse anybody into believing. We show our good courage because we believe that the word of God is sufficient. We show our good courage because we have faith that empowers us to speak. We show our good courage because we understand that if our tent falls, God is building us a home. See, if you understand that we are of good courage and that we should not lose heart, then you have to do a few things. 
First is you got to renounce disgraceful, underhanded ways. You got to stop sliding in the shadows. You just got to stop hiding from the church people. If it's something that you got to hide, you probably shouldn't be doing it. You got to refuse to tamper with God's word. That means that you accept it at face value. When people bring you God's word, you trust that what they brought you is true. Stop playing games around the edges. I, I hate when I come to somebody and I say, hey, you know, the word of God says this. Oh, but, 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 but. Stop saying but. Okay? Accept that you guilty as charged. That you need to repent. We've all been guilty before. It's not just you. It's not just you. Everybody in this room has been guilty. Everybody in this room is guilty. If it's not for the Lord calling us to repent and change our ways, we would all be condemned. Don't proclaim yourself, proclaim Christ. We have to get out of the business of making us first and make Christ first. We got to remember that this is God's ministry, not our ministry. Stop taking it so personal. Start understanding that this belongs to God. Don't focus on the outer. Look to the unseen. You might look at somebody and we necessarily can't tell if they believe or don't believe. We have to focus on what God is showing us. We need to impress the faithful people with truth. Right? People come and they say, oh, you know, I want to I wanna, I wanna answer every question in Sunday school to show that I'm, I'm for real. Here's how you can impress me. Come to service for six months and don't miss. Give in the offering. Quietly be faithful. That's how you can impress the faithful. Impress us with your quiet and sturdy faithfulness. Believe and then speak. We have to believe what we actually say. Be thankful. I know this seems like a small one, but it's a big one to me. Be thankful. You know, people ask, how can I be filled with the Holy Spirit? If you list all the things that you're thankful for, before long you will be filled with the Holy Spirit. Long for your heavenly home. Stop putting all your eggs in this basket. You know, I thank God my brother Paul came to hear me preach. We talk all the time about how this world is going straight down. We ought not be putting all our eggs and fixing this world. It's unfixable. I'm not saying that we can't do little things to help fix it and be better people. We should. But you got to understand, you're with a shovel facing an avalanche. That don't mean that you shouldn't try to do your part. But you got to understand, God has already condemned this world. <clears throat> we need to walk by faith, not by sight. You know... The whole point of this passage is this, that we should not lose heart because we put our trust in a Lord who will not disappoint us. When we look at this passage, we should see Jesus. In verse 4, we should see Jesus glorified in the gospel. We should see Jesus as Lord. Look at verse 5, it says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. 5 verse 6, while we are away from the Lord, we are home in the body, we are away from our Lord. We should understand that Jesus is Lord, that he's sitting in heaven right now, 
ruling over his church. We should understand Jesus' life and ministry has meaning for us. In verse 6, it says, we understand the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus had a face for a reason, so that we would see God's glory in his life ministry. Jesus died for us. Look at verse 10, 11 and 12. He died so that we would also die. Why did he die? So that he could raise with a new kind of resurrection so we would have a new standard of living. Let's put it this way. The way we live now, we are always under the threat of death. We want to live in such a way that the threat of death is gone forever. And that's Jesus' resurrection. We ought to long for Jesus' return. Look at verse 14. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. That's why we believe and that's why we speak. We know the Lord will return. And we know that the Lord will sit on the judgment seat and hold everybody accountable for everything they do, whether good or evil, verse 16. And then the last thing we need to do is we need to fear God. Fear the God by whom we receive this ministry. Fear the God who owns this word. Fear the God who oversees this work. Fear the God whose image can be seen in Christ alone. Fear the God who uses the power of creation to give us revelation. Fear the God who alone owns the powers of the church. Fear the God who raised Jesus and will raise us up too. Fear the God who will bring us into his presence. Fear the God who is making us a house when we live in tents. Fear a God who gave us a spirit as a guarantee. Fear a God who gave Christ the right to judge the world. Fear ye him. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truths embedded in your word. Pray that you would bless us, Lord. Help us to trust in your truths, to live it out. In your name we pray. Amen.